Hey guys, welcome to episode 101 of A True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. So we want to start this episode off the way we always do, thanking everyone who left us a review on whatever podcast platform they're using. And if you haven't done so yet, we really encourage you to do so because it helps us tremendously in the rankings of podcasts. Absolutely. Also, we wanted to announce, and this is really super exciting, it's kind of been in the works for a while. Um, we have our merchandise available. So if you want any like true crime couple gear, you can head on over to the show notes and we'll post a link. But it's also linked in our Instagram if you follow us on Instagram. And it's just a few shirts. Um, some of them have our logos. Some have some true crime sayings. We hope you enjoy it. And we just thank you for even requesting it. Yeah, I mean, I was actually shocked at the uh, the amount of people that actually said they wanted it. So um, I, we were happy to just finally get it out. Yeah. And of course, like we always do, we are going to thank our new patrons on Patreon at the end of the show. So stay tuned at the end if you're a new Patreon donator, because we'll be saying your name and hopefully not butchering it. Yeah. <laughs> thank God I'm not doing it. <laughs> So in today's episode, we're going to talk about a missing persons case that led to the convergence of three governments. A lack of treaties meant a lack of communication and the escape of a possible killer. Until one year later, a body is found. But that body is not of the missing girl. This murder reinvigorates the hunt for a man who has been able to elude the Canadian police due to technicalities. But still, this case will end in a mystery. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Hatice Troba Jolyu had immigrated to Canada with her family from Turkey when she was 15 years old. Her family lived in Canada, as they had in Turkey, very close. Her extended family was like her immediate. She lived within walking distance from her aunts and uncles and cousins, so she was always over their house or they were over her house, and it was like an open-door policy. And upon reflection, all the family members of Hatice stated that the day that all of them boarded the plane, because they all took the same flight to Canada, they were so happy and excited for their future and just how bright it was going to be. And Hatice's family, much like other families that were leaving Turkey in the 1990s, immigrated to Canada and the United States. Um, they chose Canada, the Toronto area, which does have a large Turkish population because it was part of that, you know, diaspora that took place during that time period. And they were really happy within their community because they felt like they were culturally supported because there were so many other Turkish people there. So they were able to have this fresh new start and new opportunities, but they also had like a little piece of home. And that usually is what happens with immigrants. So if any of our listeners are Turkish, they would agree with me that Turkish culture is rich and wonderful, something that they're really proud of, but it's also a really strict one. After she graduated from high school, her father had arranged for her to be married. 
Prior to this arrangement, she did not know the man that her father set her up with. When they met or were together prior to their wedding day, they were never allowed to be alone. But that marriage ended in a divorce. About a year after her father tried again to arrange a marriage, and um, that relationship also ended in divorce. So at this point, by the time she's 30, because that's when our story is going to pick up, she's been divorced twice. I mean, I'm sure it's a big deal in other, like in certain cultures, but I feel like as as Americans, we're just so used to used to divorce. It happens a lot. Yeah, I mean, well, within the Turkish community, um, it is normal to have like kind of like an arranged marriage um, when families know each other, just setting up marriages. But you're supposed to work through any complications that you have. You know, like divorce isn't something that's common within Turkish culture. But like you said, it is kind of more common here in the United States and Canada and and within our culture, especially in 2009, because that's when our story is picking up. But I think that it's that makes it even harder for, say, someone, an immigrant that has a culture where divorce is not totally acceptable, but now they're surrounded by a culture where it is. Well, it's it's like it's almost, added pressure. Yeah, it's like two worlds colliding, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's difficult. And you also feel as if you know you might feel like okay, is there something wrong with me because I've been set up with two different people? It hasn't worked out, so she does kind of feel like that burden of okay, well, if I find someone a third time, like I got to make this work. I'm thirty now. Yeah, that's true. It is added pressure for sure. Well, Hatice was a strong-willed woman. She knew what she wanted, and she was independent, something that made her arranged marriages very difficult. I mean, you have to think, these are men who are taking part in an arranged marriage, so they are going to expect a traditional Turkish relationship where um, the woman, and I want to be careful what I say, because of course I'm not generalizing all Turkish culture, but um, it is kind of like more of an obedience of women really listening to their husbands and making sure that, you know, their families are taken care of on a day-to-day basis. And Hatis really wasn't that kind of person. She worked two jobs. She was really independent and she was outspoken. And maybe that wasn't what these two men who were arranged to be married with her thought they were getting involved in. And that could have, you know, had an effect on whether or not the relationship worked. Yeah, I mean, that is a good point. And I see what you're saying. And it's 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 nice to see you try to, like, tread lightly. I know because, you know, you don't want to. It's difficult waters yeah. to navigate. Yeah, it is. It is. But I, I, I do understand what you're saying. But the one great thing was that Hatice's family really understood this about her. Her father told her that um, she would be allowed to choose the next husband for herself. And this is really like a big step for a conservative Turkish father. Um, I think his love for his daughter outweighed his cultural traditions. And he really said, you know, you are who you are. You are making a wonderful life for yourself here in Canada. So the next time that you're going to pick someone that you want to marry, you pick them. Let's see how that works. Because he really did want happiness and a family for his daughter. That's really nice. It is. Yeah. 
So after her two divorces, Hatis was 30 years old and still living with her parents. She worked nights at a rubber company as a forklift driver, and then she went immediately to her part-time job in a bakery. And she was really happy. She had her independence. Um, she loved all of her relationships with her family members, and they knew her as, you know, like their funny cousin and sister and the one that they all wanted to emulate. And she really took pride in that role of being a role model for her her younger siblings and cousins. That's really nice, especially when like you have, I don't want to say the black sheep, but I guess different than the rest of the family. But then she has done such great things for herself you know, being able to be independent, being able to grow and kind of kind of shape into like what, you know, what's expected Mm -hmm. or, you know what I mean, what you're expected to do. So it's nice for that, like the younger kids to see, hey, look, you can grow up and you can get a job and work hard and, and just be independent and do this. It's nice. It is nice. And I think that this is the struggle that a lot of, um, children of immigrant parents have is you are stuck between two worlds as you said before so I think that her younger siblings and cousins are watching her do this um, with the grace that she was doing it with and they were saying okay we kind of want to be able to do that too like be able to navigate through our old world and our new world it's true her father had this to say about his daughter Hatice during this stage of her life She was brave, confident, and strong. She believed in herself. She was modernized and adventurous. We are proud of her. But I knew very much that she wanted to settle down when she turned 30, and she did want to get married and have kids. And all of that was true about Hatice. She did want to settle down, but at that point, she was really just focused on herself. And, you know, like the saying goes, that's when love finds you, when you aren't really looking for it, when instead you're focused on yourself. So one day she was talking to a friend about how she wanted her third marriage to work. She wanted to find the right man to spend the rest of her life with and father her children. Her friend told her that she knew the right guy for her, her cousin. His name was Reza Kosa. He was also Turkish, and he was a welder living in New York City. She told her friend that she could give her cousin her phone number. Hatice and Reza began talking on the phone immediately. They did everything that 2009 had to offer you. They talked on the phone, they texted, they emailed, and they were doing that for weeks, like getting to know each other. After weeks of talking and hitting it off, the two agreed to meet with each other. Hatice did not want to travel to New York by herself. And I think this was also a thing where like she didn't want to meet a man for the first time by herself either because that wouldn't really be culturally acceptable. So she asked one of her closest friends to come with her. The long weekend spent in New York City was a dream for Hatice. Even her friend agreed that this man was beyond perfect. He was kind, funny, he had a great job working in the city, um, and he took them sightseeing everywhere and was nothing but a gentleman. And to be, like, nice, so the two girls stayed in the city, but he actually said he had a house in Long Island in Hicksville, so he would go into the city every day, and, like, he took off from work and kind of showed them around. 
Yeah, that's pretty cool. I always feel like if you've never been to New York City, and I'm pretty sure I've said this before, but for someone who lives there or is close like we are, we don't really find it like a big deal. But I feel like when you're outside of the, you know, city limits, so to speak, just or like Canada, I mean, you find New York City a pretty, like, marvelous place. I don't know how else to put it. It's, like, weirdly nostalgic and just great. Yeah. <laughs> so over the next six months, Hatice visited Cosa several times. Each time she left, her father was nervous for her to make the 450-mile trip by herself and to be alone with a man she really didn't know too well. Out of respect, Hatice always stayed in the hotel and not at Cosa's house. Sometimes, um, a little bit later on into their six-month relationship, like towards the end, he would stay with her in the hotel, but more times than not, he was at his home in Hicksville. And the plan, as far as Hatice told her family, was that when the pair got married, Kosa would be moving to Toronto so they could be close to Hatice's family because Reza Kosa's family still lived in Turkey. So they wanted to be close to family to help them, obviously, with like their children and things like that. Sounds like a good plan. Mm-hmm. So everyone close to Hatice could see that she was beyond happy, glowing, really. She was excited to start her life and become a wife and mother. But there was one more test to pass, meeting his parents. It was really important that Reza Kosa's family agreed to the marriage before it took place because it wasn't an arranged marriage, as typically happens amongst Turkish culture. The couple planned a trip to Turkey for Hatice to meet with Reza's parents in June of 2009. On the 15th of that month, she planned to travel to New York to meet Kosa. Then from there, she was going to fly with him to Turkey. She left Ontario at around 7 a.m. that morning and told her family goodbye. Her father wished her the best of luck and told her to enjoy Turkey. And and I'm sure he was kind of nostalgic for Turkey, and he was probably saying, like, enjoy your time there. You're going to love it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they were they were pretty young when they came, right? Yes. So, I mean, it's nice to kind of go back, you know, to where you were from, you know? To right, because Hatice grew up there for 15 years. So yeah, exactly. It's nice to go back. Hatice's family thought that Reza was a great man from all that they heard. Her friend confirmed it, having had met him. And, you know, they all knew that she was in love, excited to go to Turkey. You know, this was her third shot at love. You know, they were excited for her. Yeah. Third time's a charm, right? That's what they say. So that's why when she didn't call for two days, her family didn't think anything of it. They thought that she was just having a wonderful time back in her home country, meeting her future in-laws. And this is what she'd always wanted. So they didn't want to intrude. We also have to understand family dynamics and cultural beliefs, right? They wanted to wait for her to contact them. She's also a 30-year-old woman who's off um, enjoying herself we're also talking about 2009 when it was also really difficult to make international phone calls on your telephone and your bill would be so high if you called people internationally, if your phone was even capable of doing so. That's true. It's kind of crazy, too, that like we're, we're talking about 2009 and, you know, the evolution from 2009 to now is incredible because now you can either just you can 
uh, it's in your plan sometimes even where it's it's no extra. Yeah. So it's crazy. So after five days of Hatice not calling, her father chose to reach out because he figured, okay, five days is long enough. And when she didn't pick up the phone, he assumed that she wasn't picking up the phone call because it would charge her extra for long distance on her cell phone plan. After that, Hatice's father received a phone call from Reza Kosa. He was shocked to learn that his daughter's fiance was still in New York. He asked him how his daughter was, and Reza had told him that she had gone to Turkey without him. He said that when he was at the airport, he had run into some complications with his paperwork, and that if he left the country, he wouldn't be able to return. So he chose to stay behind, and Hatice was insistent about continuing her journey to Turkey to meet his family. Okay, very strange. Um, my red flag senses, my little, t- you know, it's tingly senses are going off. <laughs> this is uh, bizarre uh, for for a few reasons, I feel like, because one, wouldn't you still try to attempt to go? Like if you're having problems with your paperwork, sort sort your crap out and, and then, tr- you know, fix the paperwork and go. That would make sense. Like, you know what I mean? I, that makes no sense. That's number one. Number two, um she still should be able to pick up her phone. Like, it's odd right. to me that... Because, listen, they're a close family, it seems like, from what you've told so far. It would be odd for if we had a family that were, was close like that, if we didn't hear from one another or whatever in a, a day or two, it's, you know, that would just not be normal. It's just not normal behavior. And then to send her to Turkey to a family that she doesn't even know, it, it's just odd. Without him, it's odd. That's like you being with me for months and then... Finally, you meet my parents, but I'm not there. Right. That it It's weird. And in another country. Yes. So very strange. I also think it's strange, too, that she wouldn't pick up her phone or call her, her family when she was in Turkey by herself. Like, you would think, even though she's meeting his family, and even if they got along, like, amazingly, you would still want to talk to your family about this, like, kind of strange situation that you you were put in. So you think she would be reaching out to her family if this were the case? Yeah. I think in this moment so far in the story, I think the weirdest part is the fact that he had issues leaving and that and the fact that he's not trying to rectify the issues with his paperwork, with his right. passport, so he can go. Right. Like, fix it. It's fix been a week it. now. Because yeah. the, the trip was a long trip. Um, it was like about two and a half weeks that they were going to be spending in Turkey. Yeah, but I'm I'm glad at least that the father reached out because just like I'm saying, he thought it was bizarre. Right, but then Rezikos is now calling him. Which is also weird. Yeah. So Kosa had said that she was really excited for the planned event and that Hatice was actually really happy in Turkey, that she was getting along really well with his family and that she was enjoying traveling. So Hatice's father told Kosa to tell Hatice that he loved her and that he wanted her to enjoy herself. But when she had a free moment to call him and that was on June 29th. So again, this is a while into the trip. The next contact that Hatice's family had with Reza was a month later. A whole month. A whole month on on July 30th. So at this point, the father and the rest of the family haven't spoken to her in like a month and two weeks yeah that's insane 
Um, they hadn't talked to her because they felt like she was in a good place, right? They had heard from Rezacosa, like, she's having a great time. She's with my family and she's enjoying Turkey. So, I mean, they just didn't think that anything was wrong. Um, she was 30 years old. They also had many, like the whole family, like the extended family took many trips to Turkey. And a lot of times, like the phone calls would be really far and few between because there was always so much going on. Um, so, I mean, a month is a, a month and a half is a long time. It yeah. is. But I just don't want to also judge this family. Right. I mean, there's no, I mean, yeah. listen, there's no blame to be, uh, to be put on them. I mean, they were also putting extreme, an extreme amount of loyalty in Reza and, and, and the one phone call that they received. Yeah. So. Well, um, when Reza Kosa called on July 31st, his story completely changed. He said that Hatis had come back from Turkey and that when she had come back, she changed her mind about everything. She no longer wanted to get married. He explained that the whole fight happened just so fast. He'd gone to pick her up at the airport. They started fighting outside of his car and Hatis told him that she no longer wanted to be with him and that they were done. So they argued she got into his car and drove away and he had to walk home from JFK. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty big trip to make. Wait, trip. wait, he he walked. Yeah. Or did he just find a way to get home? He actually walked. He said he walked. Well, I could tell you that that's probably that's close to impossible if he lived <laughs> In Long Island, in you gotta you gotta yeah. think about it. You have to think about like what what a distance that is. I mean, I can't, I don't know exact mile number here, but uh, j- listen, JFK Airport. You would have to leave JFK Airport, and then what? You would be walking down a whole. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say you're taking your life in your hands. You're literally <laughs> walking down a um a highway, highway. for miles, H- like a hundred miles, if anything. No, not a hundred miles from JFK to Hicksville. I'm gonna Google right, it right. We now. gotta Google it right now, live. Do it live. She's literally typing this right now. <laughs> Wait, now the pressure that I'm spelling everything wrong. <laughs> Twenty nine miles, you fool. Okay, well you know what? It seems <laughs> it's like, like hundred miles. It seems like hundred miles when you're in traffic. Okay, but seriously though, that is pretty. That's a long that is walk. In, listen, you're gonna have to Northern State Parkway I forty. 495 west no it's a, you can't well i guess what we're just what i'm trying to get at here is it's he has to walk highway he has to walk on the side of a highway yeah. for 30 miles for a long time 30 miles yeah. i can tell you that that is just for me to walk from one town to the to the um repair shop it took me like three hours he also didn't have to walk he could have called an uber but he chose not to all right well anyway let's get back to the story <laughs> okay. oh the tables have turned they have um so, Hatice's father didn't know what to say. He thanked Reza for the information, and then he hung up the phone. Quickly, he explained everything to his family, and later his extended family. Everything that Reza had told him, in the first phone call and the second. Her father was heartbroken for his daughter. He told everyone that he knew that she must be hurting and wanted very desperately to talk to her. He knew just how much she wanted this to work, 
So what had happened to cause her to end it abruptly? Could it have been like Reza's parents? Did they really not get along? Like maybe a fight happened later on? Was there something they didn't know about the couple? It was just all incredibly frustrating because she wasn't answering phone calls. And they just prayed that she would reach back out to them. For two weeks, Hatice's family tried to call her multiple times a day. And when she still wasn't answering, the family made a choice to go to the Toronto police to report her missing on August 13th. So now, at this point, Hatice's family had not seen her for two months. It's a really long time. I mean, you have to think, right, when someone goes missing, oh, what is it, like the first 48 hours is crucial? I mean, yes. we're, we're two months in now. Right, but even think about it. Even if something did happen to Hatiz within the first 48 hours of her leaving Canada, they wouldn't have known. Right. So it's this is a hard one. The Toronto police were very responsive. They knew that this investigation was going to be difficult because so much time had passed. Their first step was to travel to the last place that Hatice had been seen alive, New York City. The police in New York helped by giving them all the known addresses that they could find that were associated with Reza Kosa. With a representative from the NYPD, the detectives from Toronto visited each address. Not only was Hatice nowhere to be found, neither was Reza Kosa. He was gone too. When you, when you when you say that, do you mean that there was not ever a Rosicosa, like a fake name, or you mean they just couldn't find him? They just couldn't find him. Okay. Like he had, you know, like all of our known addresses would be where we're living currently and addresses that we had lived in the past or like addresses of like your parents or my parents. That's what they mean by like known associated addresses. So they went and visited all of these places and Rosicosa wasn't there at all. And his house that he had in Hicksville, New York, it also it had a like a vacancy sticker on the door, meaning that the mortgage had not been paid for three months. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So this is kind of a mystery now. It's very weird. Mm -hmm. Hatice's father chose to make the trip to New York as well. He wanted to put up missing persons posters that he had made, and he wanted to visit the Turkish embassy to appeal to them for help. Because kind of technically, at this moment, the jurisdiction is a little confusing, because although Hatice is from Toronto, she went missing in New York. Right. So when Hatice's father visited the embassy to report his daughter missing, he found out some interesting information that he immediately reported to police. Um, I myself find it weird that the father had to find out this information and this wasn't one of the places that the police immediately went, but let's move on. Um, Hatis had been to the embassy in New York. Really? Okay. She went to the embassy on June 18th to change the information on her passport so she would be able to go to Turkey. And it was found through Port Authority at JFK Airport that Hatice had purchased a ticket that was set to take off for Turkey on June 21st, 2009. So she had her passport changed on the 18th and she was set to leave three days later. Okay, so there is proof that she did buy a ticket. Yes. Planned to leave. 
mm-hmm. and did go to the embassy to change her passport up a little bit. Right. So she could go. Okay. But they could not determine if she had been on the flight right away because they needed to obtain a court order. And this is pretty difficult in a post 9-11 world to get a flight manifest. So like there was just a lot more avenues that you had to go through in order to get the the list of who was on a plane. And agencies too. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about like lots of databases and red tape across. Right. And, you know, at this point, the whole investigation was kind of thrown because now that Reza Kosa hasn't been found, they don't know whether or not to believe him. Did she ever leave the United States? So what country was she in? Yeah. Although JFK's Port Authority could not determine if she was on the plane just yet, they were able to disclose if her vehicle was caught on CCTV. Video footage was found of her car entering the airport the afternoon her flight was to take off. The arrival was about 45 minutes before the flight was to take off, so that's, you know, kind of just about the time one would need to you know, it's kind of get a little close, but, you know, you get there and you arrive for your flight. Okay. The car stays within the parking garage for about an hour and 20 minutes, and then it leaves. Now, although the footage was found of the vehicle, it was impossible to tell who was in the car. But the the actions do mimic that of someone dropping someone off at the airport. So... That does kind of stick with Reza's story as he told it to Hatice's father. Okay. I mean, I guess. I'm not saying that, like, we are on the track of believing this guy now, but it does, like, okay, it seems like someone dropped somebody off using her car. It is weird, though, that it took an hour for that to take place, though. Well, you know, because you have to, like, they were probably waiting for the flight. It was 45 minutes before the flight was supposed to take off. Okay. So, I mean, it does. The timeline makes sense. Okay. So there was also cameras inside the airport, but unfortunately, Port Authority only keeps footage backed up for one month. And by the time Hatice was reported missing, the information regarding whether or not she was at the airport that day was gone. I mean, she was reported two months after she left. We know that the delay in reporting took place for several reasons, but it's because of the delay that a lot of information was lost. Yeah. And they really can't really build any kind of evidence now. Right. It's hard. It's harder, I should say. So finally, the paperwork um, came in, like they were able to obtain the flight manifest. And the detectives from Toronto and New York learned that Hatice never got on the flight bound for Turkey. Okay. Well, I kind of, I had a suspicion that that took place, that she never got on the flight. Mm-hmm. So, where is she? It's the million dollar question. <laughs> so, the next step in the investigation is determining where Hatiz traveled and where the hell Rezacosa was. Yeah, like, where where are these people? I'm, <laughs> I'm, I need to know. Well, could the couple have run away together? Mm, I don't know. I feel like I feel like Reza's been hiding something. Yeah, that's just what I'm getting from this. Mm-hmm. It something's off. Well, over the next two weeks, through cooperation with the Turkish government and Interpol, 
which is like very super criminal minds official. The detectives were able to find out that Hatice did not use her Canadian or Turkish passport to enter Turkey or re-enter Canada. So she basically is still in New York. They do have record of her leaving Canada and entering the United States via her vehicle. And that's it. Like, although she did get that information changed in her passport at the embassy, she never used her passport to enter another country or re-enter Canada. Right, because there would have been records of her and Correct. having her um, that's passport. Where, yeah, yeah, that's where Interpol came in. Right, because they stamp your passport. Thank you, And they have records for that. So, yeah. <laughs> just... No, I'm just... <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry. Captain Obvious. Um, but no, it, it is strange, though. See, I would want to know where Reza is now, right? Because that would be the biggest piece to all of this. If we could find Reza and find out if he left the country, which I'm sure is the next move um, that they're going to do, um, that's going to really put things into perspective for police. Agreed. That's the next step. So this leads us to September 1st, 2009. The day before, detectives from New York City found out that a car that was registered to Resicosa was given a parking ticket while parked in front of 315 9th Street in Manhattan on July 29th. So they know that in July 29th, most likely Reza was in Manhattan. They also found out that the company that Reza works for was completing a job in that building where the car was parked. So they're like, okay, most likely it's him, right? Right. Also, this is the first time that we're excited someone got a parking ticket. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hate them. I get like four every month and I, know, I hate it's, it. It's pretty bad. So when the police went to look into the ownership of the car, it was found out that Reza Kosa was married. See, I knew something was off. He was married? What the hell? Yeah. And his wife's name is Winsome Perez. But want to hear something more shocking? Um, of course. 46-year-old Winsome Perez had been reported missing by her family after she didn't show up for work on the very same day that her husband's car received the ticket. So what you're telling me so what you're telling me is we have his actual wife missing and his mistress missing as well. Yes. What? I don't think that can be a coincidence. Um, no, it can't be. So what the hell? I wanna know. This is good. So the day well, I'm glad you approve of this story. Well, listen, I just I don't know if because I know we have a lot of new listeners, but I'll just say it right now. There's nothing more intriguing to me than disappearances. It's my, it's for me, it's the most exciting thing ever. It's your thing. It's totally my thing. Well, the day after Winsome Perez was reported missing, Reza Kosa, her husband, boarded a plane for Turkey and had not returned since. When Perez's family was told about Kosa's relationship with missing Hatice and all the properties that he was associated with, they were shocked. He had never given any indication that anything was wrong or that he had been anything but faithful to his wife. Hmm. Because I think that, I mean, you have to think there's a pretty big age difference because Reza Kosa was 29 years old and Winston Perez was 46 years old. So I think that there might have been a little possibly like a 90 day fiance situation on our hands. 
That's an interesting show. Yeah. Hmm. But I think that uh, it's definitely interesting because he was leading this double life that the Perez family knew nothing about. That's insane. Uh, this is getting good. You know, uh, actually, I was just thinking about uh, also, I wanted to make a comment. Um, and this we don't need to look up because I, I know the area there. 315 9th Ave. Um, what's interesting is he was a welder. Yes. Okay. So um, 315 9th Avenue, there are actually um, all apartment buildings there. Like, you know, um, I don't want to say pro- like, you know, like because sometimes their names are like Queensbridge Projects. Like, it's kind of like um, it's just a massive apartment complexes for people who live in the city. Right. And. You know, sometimes they what they do is they they'll say, "Oh, something needs repair in the buildings," and they get outside help to come in. Yes. And you know, most of the time you have like full access to like the buildings and the utilities in the buildings. Well, that's interesting. So I'm thinking right now, like garbage chutes, ways of getting rid of somebody. These are the things that are going through my mind. Mm-hmm. Very easy to do in New York City, especially in the pro in in apartment complexes that are so large it takes over like five city blocks. Right. It's massive. So you have a lot of room to work with. That's very interesting. So, yeah. So one of the questions that detectives had was answered where Rezacosa was, because at this point they knew that he was in Turkey. But this posed a problem. He was in Turkey and Turkey didn't have an international treaty with Canada. So they were not cooperative or forthcoming with information about Rezacosa. Okay, so they can't, like, uh, extradite him back to Canada or the United States because he hasn't been charged, right? Well, technically, you could extradite him. Like, that wouldn't be involved within the international treaties. But extradition only takes place when he's actually been charged with the crime. So as of right now, they just want to question him. So it's a little murky. Okay. The only piece of information that they had was a phone number for Rezacosa that they had been given by the Perez family. So the Toronto police asked one of their detectives to try and get in touch with Kosa. This detective was of Turkish descent and he spoke the language. So the thought process behind this was that maybe Kosa would open up to him because he understood his culture. People tend to open up to people they're more comfortable with. I mean, that's just common sense. It's true. So the detective was able to make contact with Kosa several times. And Kosa was willing to say a lot. He had hour-long conversations with the detective about Hatis. They didn't want to mention to him that they knew about his wife because they thought that this would make him feel cornered and potentially shut down. So the detective stated that they just wanted to know his side of the story and they wanted to find out where she was so that they just needed more information from him and how she was in the relationship. They were basically saying to him, we believe what you said about her driving off, but now we're just trying to find her. So that made him feel more comfortable. Kosa told the detective that he was a very jealous man. He explained that after Hatice got back from Turkey and met his parents, that they were driving around New York before she had to go back to Canada. While they were driving, Hatice received a text message. He asked to see it, and she didn't want to show him. So he grabbed her cell phone away from her and found out that she was actually texting back and forth with another man. 
At this point, he tried to appeal to the detective's um, cultural background, saying, you know, that's not acceptable for a Turkish girl to do, and that Hatice had shamed him by doing that. Wanting him to explain what happened next, the detective told him that he understood what he was saying. Kosa told him that when he found the text messages, that he was sent into a darkness. And those are the exact words that he used. As he was talking about the breakup, he got really emotional and started to cry. He said that after that fight, she left and his life was ruined. Because of everything that he went through with Hatis, he just wanted a fresh start, which is why he left for Turkey. And the detective, of course, was sympathizing with him the whole time because he did want additional information out. I mean, but Reza Kosa is leaving out a massive part of the storyline, which is he's already married. So how does a married man just pick up and go back to Turkey? It, they don't. <laughs> yeah. So in the midst of these conversations that were happening with Reza Kosa, because they did happen over several days, Hatice's friend, the one that had accompanied her to New York the first time she met Kosa, wanted to speak to the Toronto police. She had been apprehensive about coming to them with information for many reasons, but she thought that, given all the new information that had come to light, especially about the fact that Reza Kosa was married, that the police should know some things that Hatice had confided to her. She told detectives that there had been a lot of abuse within the relationship between Hatice and Reza Kosa. Hatice had told her that during one trip to New York, while the couple was staying in a hotel, they had gotten into a bad fight because Kosa was so jealous. She had not done anything wrong. He had just lost his mind, she said. He tied her hands with a belt behind her back and put a bag over her head. He then proceeded to scream at her and question her for hours. And he would slam the bed next to her, and she was terrified that one of those times he was actually going to hit her. I mean, this sounds like torture questioning here. If he's willing to do that, right, to someone that he, I want to just say barely knows, because it's only been a couple of months at this point. um, I can't even begin to imagine what he's capable of and also what he has done in the past to his actual wife. Right. That he knows for obviously a lot longer. So that's that's kind of scary. It is. And eventually he untied her and took the bag off her head. But it is important to know that the fight started because Hatis was having a text conversation with a male co-worker about scheduling. Yeah, that always seems to be the reality, right? Because they are so insecure with themselves that they can't accept the fact that it's not what they think it is. Right. That's, it's just, they go over the top and are just, I don't even know. I don't even know what you call it. I mean, it's so, so insecure. Abusive. And abusive. So Kosa had told her that if she wanted to be with him, then she needed to be more obedient and not whatever she wanted to do. So, I mean, you have to think Hatis has been, very independent she works two jobs i mean she drives the forklift on one and in the bakery she works on not just like the baking stuff but also like the driving of the goods to the other like 
distribution side of it as well. So she is a very independent woman. And this is something that he obviously did not like. But then at the same time, Hatice, even though it's only six months into a relationship and it's difficult to say battered woman syndrome in such a short period of time, but I think that is a possibility here on an accelerated timeline because she is a 30-year-old woman who really does want to make things work. This third time, she feels like this might be her last chance at having a family, which just makes things more sad here. And you really have to feel terrible for this woman. I mean, you do. I mean, this is her, you know, third attempt in trying to have a family and, and you know, just enjoy life. And here she is dealing mm-hmm. with this because, you know, I, you know, with her other two divorces, now this, she, this is the first time she's picking someone uh, without you know it being arranged right and of right. course you know as she luck would have guy. it it's this guy right and she you know the the pressure's on and there's expectations for her um set by her culture and her family even though they are accepting and you're right so she doesn't want to be the the story of see we let you pick and this is what happens which so, is also pressure yeah but all of this was confirmed by what kosa was telling the detective on the phone in another conversation Costa said that he always had a problem with how much Hatice talked to other men listen he said she cheated on me you're Turkish so you understand what that means to a Turkish man that's what he's saying to the detective what would you do the detective didn't answer instead he turned the question on Kosa what did you do to her he asked when Reza Kosa didn't answer, the detective pressed. Did you kill her? No, he said. I did not kill her. I loved her to death. You know, and this is pretty interesting because, again, he's using past tense. Right, which means he obviously, uh, he knows what he, what's going, you know, where she is. She's yeah. most likely passed on. I mean, right. he wouldn't or, use that verbiage. I mean, but this is a little interesting here because look at what happened in the hotel room. So this gave detectives like some kind of indication that he also does like holding women hostage. Could Hatice possibly still be alive? I mean, I don't I don't think so based on the fact that he's in Turkey. Yeah. And if he did put her somewhere, it's been over a month, if anything. Likelihood of survival. Well, they were thinking like, is there a possibility that she did get to Turkey? I don't know. They're just, I think they're trying to hold up hope that this woman is not dead. Right. Because then, right now, because you have two missing women that are associated with this man, if one of them is found dead, the the implication of that is that the other is as well. Exactly. So it's sad. But unfortunately, those questions would never be answered by Reza Kosa because he stopped talking to police after that phone call. I think that was when he realized, like, okay, they think that I killed Hatice, so, and they're not on my side, so I'm going to stop talking to them. So while the Toronto police were looking into the disappearance of Hatice, the Nassau County police were looking for Winsome Perez in New York, the missing wife of Cosa. They knew that she had gone missing after July 28th because that was the last time that she was seen alive. Her co-workers at the Chase Bank reported her missing the following day because she was a no-call, no-show at work. And this was something that was very unusual for Winsome, who very rarely called out of work. Now, something very interesting was happening here. 
The police in New York obviously knew that Kosa was Winsome's husband, and they did suspect him of the disappearance because they were actually first approached about this man from the Toronto police who were looking into Hatice's disappearance. So there was a lot to go on in this investigation. Because, you know, when someone goes missing, you do always suspect the husband, right? But you especially suspect the husband when he is also a suspect in his mistress's disappearance. Exactly. I mean, it's not just one person. We're talking about two people that he had a relationship with. Right. But I don't know if you know this, but on average, 13,000 people go missing in New York City each year. So the disappearance of Winston Perez did not make the news. It was clear that the police wanted to keep it that way as well. They tried to reach Reza Kosa, who they knew because of the Toronto investigation, went to Turkey. He had stopped paying his mortgage on his home with Winsome and Hicksville. Like we said, you know, it was basically boarded up and the bank took over. And we don't know if the police in New York were ever able to get in touch with him during that time um, because... The trail for them went cold, as it did for the Toronto police. Um, The initial disappearance of Winston Perez never made the news in New York, which is something that is a little strange because the New York police kept it a secret that Winston Perez was married to Reza Kosa, who was also a suspect in another missing woman's case. I think that that probably would have made the news if that was made public, but it was not. So I just think that that's interesting that um, the police withheld that information from the media. I mean, it is a little bizarre. I I think my only defense to that would maybe be that because there's so much, you know, crime and disappearances in New York City, it kind of goes, a lot of stuff goes under the radar. A 46-year-old missing Spanish woman is not going to make the news in it's New York just, City. It's just, it's just facts. Unfortunately. It's just what happens. I mean, there's just a, such a volume of missing you know missing people murder whatever you want to call it it's just it's kind of swept under the rug you know i know oh my god you should hear the news in the morning it's <laughs> over here um it's all it's all devastating but it's one outrageous thing after the other and yeah this is not something that would make the news because if you think about it then you'd have to have 13,000 news reports on this stuff yeah so it becomes old news which is unfortunate but i just think that If the media knew, that could have been good because then someone could have maybe said something or like, oh, I remember this happening, whether it's for Hatice's case or for Winsome's case. Yeah, I mean, if there was was definitely a parallel uh, drawn in the two cases, um, maybe it would have have gotten that. Oh, it would have garnered so much media attention. Yeah, because now, now it's, you're not dealing with just one isolated incident, you're dealing with Two incidences that allegedly are coming from the same person. Correct. So have you seen this? No. Have you seen these women? Have you seen this guy? There has to be somebody that saw them at some point. Right. And that's what I'm saying. So it's unfortunate that it didn't make the news. And for one year, the Canadian police had nothing to go on, especially because there was no international treaty. Whereas New York could have forced COSA to give up information, which would have also helped out in the Canadian investigation. But they chose not to. That I don't understand. For one year. I I, I just don't understand why. 
Yeah, like now that New York was involved and there was an international treaty between the United States and Turkey, that the investigation could have moved forward, but they chose not to investigate him, which is very unfortunate and doesn't make sense. And I'm sure there's a bureaucratic reason why it did not happen. Probably. But it's very frustrating. So in that year, the only progress that was made was that Hatice's car was found in the parking lot of a JFK airport. Now, this is interesting because the JFK airport had been searched. The reason why it had not been discovered was because of an administrative error. When cars are parked in the parking garages in the airport, they're usually categorized in the computer system by state. Like New York would be NY, New Jersey would be NJ. So when Port Authority was looking for Hatice's car, they figured that it would be labeled as most Canadian license plates were by province. So they figured that Hatice's car was categorized as ONT for Ontario, but it wasn't. The attendant, instead of marking it down as ONT, marked it CA. They thought that was for Canada. But that's the marking for California. Oh, my gosh. Yes. You're kidding me. <laughs> oh so Hatice's car was found. So in Hatice's car, there was McDonald's cups, garbage on the floor of the car, CDs, clothing, and a Skechers shoe box for um, men's Skechers shoes. And in the trunk, they found cleaning supplies. Blood was found in the trunk and on the driver's seat. By the time they got to the car, the car's windows had been smashed. So there might have been more in the car, but it might have been taken. They were unsure. That's a... Yeah, I wonder if they like had like surveillance of someone going... Like, Are they suggesting that someone went back to the car and broke open the window to take stuff out of it? Um, so what they think happened, and they said this was a very common occurrence in JFK, if um, sometimes thieves will walk through the parking garage, and if they notice a certain car has been there for a long amount of time, they will break into the car. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So to make things more infuriating, the New York police do not test the blood samples in the car because they don't think that they would offer relevant evidence to the case. I mean, I don't believe that. I believe that if you test the blood, that means you know that if it's hers or not, which means... Or resicosis. Or resicosis. So now else's. you know for a fact that if it, you know Reza's blood's in there, then he obviously was there with her in that moment. Right. Right? It's that That's so stupid. I mean, even if you get nothing out of it at all, at least you can say you, you tested the evidence that need that any evidence collected was tested. I just feel like that's so stupid yeah. to just kind of gloss over it. So I think at this point it's like really frustrating that the New York police did have a year to reach out to Rezacosa in Turkey and they had the capability of doing so because of the international treaty and they did not do that. And then the Port Authority at JFK overlooked the fact that there was this car there. Um, there was a car that was broken into on their premises and had been there for over a year and they didn't know. I mean, like, come on, it's a little it's a little silly. And then once they do get the blood evidence, they don't test it. 
However, they could no longer ignore the collided cases of Hatice Trobajolio and Winsome Perez. When the workers of Express Steel Supply, the company that Rezacosa used to work for, found a bag located between a 40-foot steel storage container and a chain-link fence at their job site at 110 Hooper Avenue. The smell coming from the bag was so bad that they decided to call police. Many times police have to respond to calls like this because in the city, when someone has an animal die, sometimes they dispose of the animal bodies in random places, um, sometimes found months or years later, which is pretty sad and very gross. It happens. Yeah. I guess there's, you know, there's no yard for the dog or cat. You know, I get no, no, no pet cemeteries. This isn't Maine. So, well, this time it was not the remains of an animal. It was the remains of a human. Because of the way the body was wedged in the space, it was in varying states of decomposition was wrapped tightly in several layers of plastic and the identity of the body was unknown for several days until dental records could confirm that it was the body of Winsome Perez. Okay. So the New York police contacted the Canadian police to let them know the news. In New York, it was all sealed lips. The press did not know the identity of the woman until months after the body was found. And when they did, they did not mention the fact that she was married to Reza Kosa, who was uh, wanted for questioning in the connection of the disappearance of another woman. So they, they still weren't saying who this woman's husband was, <laughs> even when because this did make the news, the font, the founding of her body. Yeah. I would. I mean, they always report if a body, you know, remains a of body is found. Yeah, that's they always do that. But um, but they didn't say <clears throat> who she was married right. to. They weren't. They weren't making the the necessary uh, connections. I mean, it's kind of crazy. And now you think, okay, well, if Woodson Prez is dead, could he have killed both women? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would, I would have to say, yeah. But there's, I'm sure, there's other theories out there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, now New York finally wants to take advantage of that treaty that America has with Turkey. They let Turkish authorities know that they wanted to um, question Reza Kosa and that they were actually going to charge him with the murder of Winston Perez. So they were looking to extradite him. So the manhunt for Kosa began in Turkey. A few days later, he was found. 29-year-old Reza Kosa committed suicide by jumping to his death from a building in Seves, his hometown. He left behind a suicide note. One part of it stated that his biggest mistake was falling in love with a Canadian woman. Unfortunately, the suicide of Kosa prevented Hatice's family from getting any answers. But... Hatice's family is very vocal about the fact that they do not believe that Reza Kosa committed suicide. They believe he staged his own suicide. Hmm. I don't know how 
effective the Turkish like police department in their form of testing things are. Like, I mean, if he died there, I mean, if he's probably going to go to a medical examiner and they're going to know that that's indeed his body. You know what I'm trying to well, say? Well, they really don't have medical records for Rezacosa. Okay. So that makes things a little so complicated. So I, understand, I can understand why they would think that, but I think that's too tinfoil hat to me. That he staged his own death. Well, they believe this because they claim that only his family members ID'd his body and that there was no further tests that were done. There was one picture of Reza's body being taken from where his body was found, where it fell, um, to an ambulance. He was in a stretcher and it appeared that the media from above got a picture of his face. Hatice's family does not believe that that is a picture of him. Like, doesn't look like the pictures of him they have seen. In an article I found by the Toronto Sun, however, they mentioned that Interpol was involved in the identification of Kosa's body. So if that's the case, then I think he... It, it might be legit. Um, one of the things police say serves as evidence that it was Kosa was the fact that he was wearing a pair of Skechers shoes that was the same style, color, and size sneaker as the Sketcher box that was found in Hatice's car parked in JFK. The Trobajolu family asked for a DNA test to confirm that Kosa had been the one that was killed, but their request was denied. Because Reza Kosa killed himself, the New York police closed their case on Winsom Perez. And because that case is closed, all of the information sharing has kind of stopped because, again, Canada doesn't have the same international treaties as the United States does. So the Toronto police still consider Hatice Trobajolu missing, but her case has gone completely cold. They remain confident that she never left New York, but to this day, she or her body has never been found. All we know is that the last time she was seen alive was to change her passport on June 18th in 2009. And the last time Winston Perez was seen alive was July 28th in 2009. So why did these women have to die or go missing? Like the timeline is a little interesting. It's not like they went missing around the same time. So the questions are like, did they find out about each other? Did Kosa kill one and then have to kill the other because they found out about the murder? Um, or had he not killed Hatice right away? Yeah, you know, that, uh, that, that those are all great theories. I mean, I, I think personally he killed his wife in order to have a relationship with Hatice. But his wife went missing after Hatice went missing. Well, it goes it goes to the point that they must have found out about each other, like you said. Yeah. And that could be a possibility. I like, I don't want to stretch it, and I don't want to, uh, you well, know. I mean, like, one possible theory is that he found out that maybe Hatice was texting someone again, and he's holding her, and then his wife finds out about this, and then he, he has to kill them both, like, that they both died around the end of July. Because... Remember, Reza Kosa doesn't call the Trobajoyu family until July 31st, after his wife is dead as well. 
Okay. So maybe Hatice was held for a month. It could be true. Or he realized she's not the kind of wife he wants. He kills her. And then he realizes, okay, well, I don't even want to be with my wife. Kills her and then goes to Turkey. Yeah, maybe to start anew. Like a new life. Um, I, I think that uh, all I could say for certain is that I don't think that she left New York. I think that she never got on a plane. Um, no, it's not like she was smuggled on a, uh, like, for example, an American Airlines flight. Right. You know what I mean? So she didn't get on a plane. Um, and she just didn't, she didn't go back to Canada. So she has to be in New York. No, I agree with that. I don't think she ever. the last place. I don't think she ever left New York, but we just don't know how long she was held by this man. And that's yeah. what's sad. And uh, and now that he's that he committed suicide, there's really no way of us to really find out. Right. But then the question is, did he even commit suicide? Like, could the sneakers be a ploy? Like, he planted that box in the car. So when yeah. So now when the person that commit suicide if this was not him is wearing the same shoes oh that's part of the evidence i mean listen i'm just gonna say that i love theories like that but i think that when you're a family in desperate need of answers yeah uh, and i'm playing devil's advocate here even though i don't truly and even though i don't truly feel this way i'm just gonna say it i i think that when a family is desperately looking for answers like this they will make themselves believe that someone that that person that jumped off a building wasn't him just in in hopes that he's out there somewhere and they can catch him to find the answers about what happened to their daughter sister what you know what i mean right because with his death is also kind of like the death of hatice because they're never going to be able to find out answers the death of their knowledge exactly and i think that's the probably the hardest thing to swallow um and to move past so I think that if anybody was in their situation, they're just not going to believe. They're going to they're going to believe anything that they could grasp and hold on to. I also think it's interesting that he put that in his suicide note that the worst thing he ever did was fall in love with a Canadian woman, so that maybe this affair is what you know was his downfall. Was his downfall? He fell into a rage because she was texting another guy. But, I mean, the guy's freaking married. It's a little ridiculous. Um, and he falls into a rage with her, kills her, and then eventually kills his wife. I What I do oh, I do want to say, though, what I do find weird about that note, though, is why would he just say, um, why would he say Canadian woman and I, not the name of the person, of the woman that he was with for months? Because then I think that then it's implicating that he's involved in her disappearance. And maybe that's, maybe he hasn't even come to terms with the fact that he killed her. Well, I think just saying Canadian woman anyway, it implicates himself. I know, but like in a not so direct way. I I also wish we knew the whole context of the letter because I find that to be important. So the whole letter has never been released, just a little part of it. So I wish that, you know, we could read the whole thing because we'd probably have a little bit more clues, maybe more answers. Well, it would be an insight to his mental state in that moment before he jumped off the building. Yeah. Yeah, the Toronto police do also believe that it was Reza Kosa who jumped off of that building, as do the police in New York, obviously, because they closed the case on Winston Perez. But, I mean, this guy does seem to be a planner and a master manipulator, so I really, at the end of the day, all of these things are possibilities. 
Well, I think m- more into what you just said, he's he's really good at leading a double life, right? Yeah. So, like, if he was to fake his own death, he'd be able to do it perfectly. And being in Turkey, um, it's possible because there's no records, no 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 medical records, no dental records. He could even leave that country. He could just leave there and go somewhere else. So, I understand the reasoning for the family thinking that. I just am not. I'm I'm unsure, and I don't yeah, want to just you're not say, sold hey, on that yeah, theory. no, not at all. Well, in 2019, on the 10-year anniversary of her disappearance, the Toronto police released all information they had on the disappearance of Hatice in hopes that it would generate new leads. But unfortunately, it did not, and the Trobajoyu family still does not have any answers. You know, I wonder how her friend feels, the one that set her up with her cousin. That's your ending statement? Probably uh, like shit. Yeah, I, I'm just saying. <laughs> how do you feel? I, I don't know. Maybe that's a little insensitive. Uh, no, I, I know what back. you mean. But, it's like, you. how did you not? But then, like you said, he's really good at leading a double life. She probably didn't know he was abusive like this. She probably didn't know he was married. Nobody, yeah. none of his family probably knew about his double lives. I mean, what the heck? Well, I think what I'm what I was really trying to say there. Sorry, sometimes I do this in real no, life. No, it's okay. You I, don't have to backtrack. I'm just, well. I want what I'm saying is I'm not placing any blame on her, but I would want to know like what like what does she think about all this? Yeah, like why did she? Because she obviously set them up because she thought they would be a great couple. Of course, yeah. And then at the same time, even her friend said, "Oh my God, he was a great guy," except for what Hatice told me months later. So it is pretty crazy that that's the results. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to now thank all of our new supporters on Patreon. And we want to thank you so, so much for joining us on that platform. We hope you're enjoying all of your new episodes. Um, If you're $5 and up, your sticker should be on its way to you. And please also check the feed because for all of our merch, we added um, discounts for all of our Patreon supporters. So, um... If you're donating $5, you get 5% off, $10, 10% off, and so on. So check Patreon for the codes because we sent them to each tier. Uh, But if you can't find that, just send us a message and we'll get back to you on what that code is for you. Yep. So I just want to say thank you to um, PG for donating $20 per month. Thank you so much. Thank you. Caroline Stennett. Marie Harris, Nina, Brandy L. Bailey, Danielle Truy, Brittany Meyer, Damian Salomon, Paula Redmond, Kim Mitchell, Caitlin Ward, Fari Maluble. If I did not say her name right, please tell me how to pronounce it and I'll do it again. I feel so bad. Allison Thiessen. Sarah Arias, Tiffany Wheeler, Kate Straylinger, up to her pledge from $2 to $5. Thank you so much. Christina Zamora, Jane Patterson, Jonathan Grice, and Bean. Thank you so much for your donations. We really appreciate it. And again, we hope you're joining everything you get with your Patreon subscription. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.